going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jerry Clark. Well, welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour, beginning this week. It's a mighty fine Monday. Troy couldn't make it tonight, so in his stead, we have Mr. Spotlow. How you doing, you Nazi? <laughs> Nazi! Pretty yeah. good, man. Pretty good. Hanging in there. Monday. No, and it's what I like to do now. Whenever something goes wrong, like I wake up and stub my toe, someone's like, what's happened? I'd say, it's a Nazi! It was a Nazi man. No, if like I run out of toilet paper in the middle of taking a crap. It was a Nazi. It was a Nazi man. Yeah, using way too much TP. Come on, guys, fold it a few times. Don't bunch it all up and ruin the whole roll. Anyway, how's it ruin the roll? It just ruins what you have there. No, it depletes the roll quicker. Oh, and you fold it under, don't you? Wait, are you? Uh, no, I don't. I don't really care. I'm not that anal retentive. Pun intended. Uh, I am. I'm always over. Wait, are you a bunch guy when you wipe, or you you fold the plies? If 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 I'm at work and I got gloves on, I'm bunching. You okay, know? but if I don't yeah, have gloves sense. on, I'm folding. Yeah, you don't want that car grease. But or... I'm also, a, you know, I'm a man. I use Scotts. My butt is not soft. I use Scott soft. So I'm not going full like Charmin soft. It, it is kind of like sandpaper. Yeah, the normal Scots. Yeah, I gotta go with Scots soft at least. <laughs> Scots is cheap. It's good stuff, but it lasts forever. We have a lot going on oh, here this sorry. Monday. No, it's all right. Don't apologize, you it's Nazi. Nazi. Man, if you're gonna start saying that, we need to teach Rose to start saying that because she's been saying other things. No, I'm not teaching your very young daughter. This, well, this not that, but calling people Nazis. She dropped. She said the S word the other day. Oh no! Watching something and some bad happened. She was like, "Oh," and I was like, "Don't say that." <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, little kids cursing can be hilarious, but the hilarity stops after the first few times. It's like, dude, uh, there's a bit of the shock factor, but I'm not game with that. Yeah, man, right, not so, cool. Yeah, but I mean, I guess it's your kid. You can teach him what the, you want. No, but, you no. know, like. Yeah. Watch it, don't do no, it. No, it's like your little science experiment. It's a, yeah, it's my little project. Yeah, teaching your kid about all sorts of things. It's So far, so good. I yeah, think. I think so, too. Yeah. He recently had a good birthday party with her at Chuck E. G's. Oh, man, it's mm. awesome. But anyway, I want to begin the show with a little bit of a historical find. A clay tablet was discovered during an archaeological dig. And they discovered what may be the oldest written record of Homer's epic tale, The Odyssey. Bowl is ever found in Greece, the country's culture ministry has said. Found near the ruined temple of Zeus in the ancient city of Olympia, the tablet has been dated to Roman times. Wow. So are, we're talking 2,000 years here. What are Roman times? Like 2,000, Yeah, about, yeah. Wow. 
Jesus was right around that time. So I'm saying 2,000 years. Mm. Yeah, Rome's a little before and a little after. Man. But uh, really cool stuff. It's amazing. Like, we, all these news stories we have now, uh, you know, before we ended the last show I'm on, Happy Hour with Greg Budell, uh, we got talking about how Netflix is now going to have to compete. They were already competing with Hulu um, and Amazon Prime. And now Disney's getting into the game of the streaming service, and they're getting in in a big way. Not only are they taking all their content back from places like Hulu and Netflix, Disney just released their Phase 4 plans for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, I saw it. Part of which includes two, not movies, but it is the Cinematic Universe team, like Kevin Feige, the producer at large and all that, producing two essentially mini-series or television shows, or really streaming shows, mm. to flesh out certain characters. And it'll all be on Disney's streaming platform. NBC Universal has made a deal. They're starting up their own streaming platform as well. It's why things like The Office and Friends are leaving Netflix. And the reason I'm bringing all this up, not only is it, I think, an interesting uh, business point, a lot of things happening in the streaming world, and I think more and more people will move to that. I've already done it. I don't have cable. I haven't had cable in years. But what it reminds me of is all these stories we now have. Like, you can go on Netflix or Hulu, um, all these other streaming services, on cable TV. You can even go, you know, to, like, your Kindle or Audible or whatever. Read a book. Listen to a book. There's so many stories these days. But I think there's a testament to the longevity of a story is uh, the longevity of a story is a testament to its power on the culture, and I can't think of a more well ancient story that has lasted. And I think it's lasted not just because oh English departments have said this is canon, but it's lasted because it's a compelling story, like the Odyssey, like the Iliad, like the Trojan War, and all the things that befell the people that participated in that war and the machinations of the gods fooling around with humankind, mankind. So you've read it? Yeah. It's been a while. Really? And it's uh there are different translations. Some are a little more palatable than others. Yeah, I tried to read it, man. It didn't make any sense. Couldn't yeah, make it bad. It can be rough. Because yeah. of all the names. And that's the one thing that hangs me up. All these weird Greek names. You're like, okay, do we call him Ulysses or Odysseus? I'm not <laughs> sure. But it is a, a powerful story. It was composed, people are guessing, by Homer in the late 8th century B.C. It had been handed down an oral tradition for hundreds of years before the tablet was inscribed. The exact date of the tablet still needs to be confirmed, but its discovery was, quote, a great archaeological, epigraphic, literary, and historical exhibit. This, again, according to the Greek Culture Ministry. Excavations to uncover the tablet took three years. I mean, talk about a wow. tedious task. When you're doing archaeology, it's not like you can get the dynamite or the backhoe. Yeah, no shovel. No. You gotta be <laughs> you gotta brush. painstaking <laughs> brushing and you know, slight movements to break tough rocks. Incredible stuff. It's a seminal work though of Western literature. Which by the way, shouldn't be you know, you talk about Western civilization and Western history. The first thing that comes to mind shouldn't, in my humble opinion, be racism. The large part of the West in Western history, but I mean, it's I think part of the human story. You know, competing tribes and ethnic groups, all this stuff. But I think the great thing about the West, at the end of the day, is we through all these trials and tribulations, all these wars, big and small, 
we came to an understanding that it is the individual who matters. Not the individual who's cut off from the rest of the world, but the individual who is the one that gives voice to friendship, gives voice to family, gives voice to community, helps tread new paths for us to travel. This is, I think, the brilliance of our Western tradition. And it is stories like the saga of Odysseus trying to get home that really can hit home. And I like it, you know, I'm not like a purist. Like, these stories can relate to us today. And that's what's so amazing to me, is human beings that lived 2,000, 3,000 years ago, you can relate to what they're going through. Well, like, okay, for instance, with Odysseus, his... He's leaving from the Trojan War. He has, comes up with the whole gambit of the Trojan horse that gets people into the city uh-huh. and, you know, Troy Falls. He is, then goes on this long journey, but while he's on this long journey, Poseidon's real pissed at him. Like, you know, there's all sorts of weird things that happen, like the land of the Lotus Eaters. Yeah, they like land on this island. It's the land of the Lotus Eaters. They're not violent people. They're not nefarious people. But as soon as Odysseus' men taste the lotus flower, they don't have any desire to go home. They just want to sit there and sleep and eat lotus flowers. Interesting stuff. And then there's the encounter with the Cyclops and all this stuff. But the part that I love that's very interesting is while Odysseus is gone, his wife is has 108 suitors, I believe, coming after her. Like, no, I'm going to marry her. No, I'm going to marry her. And when he comes back, he Odysseus doesn't reveal himself immediately. Oh, sneaky. He actually plays the role of one of the suitors and makes his wife, who's been estranged with from him for years at that point, fall in love with him again. It's just freaking brilliant. And cool stories like that where you hear the trials and tribulations of a heroic individual, it's something that... Uh, I think informs us more than we even realize. Not everybody, not many people have really read cover to cover the Iliad or the Odyssey. But to find this from Roman times, this tablet, it really does, well, it... it it's amazing. It's it, still angers, it angers to you how old these stories are. And the fact that they've lasted for this long um, is remarkable. I mean, the only thing I can think of that would be older would be like the Old Testament. It just shows you that people are people. You know, yeah. Even 2,500 years ago, you had to get from point A to point B. It just took a little bit longer. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. Now, somebody shared with me, sticking to Roman times, <laughs> 10 insults from ancient Rome. Oh, cool. Now, we think politics today is nasty. But I want to give a special shout-out to East of the Rockies for bringing this to my attention from one of my favorite websites, Intellectual Takeout. Ten insults, once again, from ancient Rome. Number one. I'm going to direct these at you, Seth. Okay, I don't cool. mean it. No, you mean it. No, I don't mean it. Mean it. It's cool. I love you, brother. Yeah, it's cool. But can't hurt right me. now, right now, everything you say is so unbearably boring by Hercules that it's murder by monotony. All right? Every time you open your mouth, <laughs> you're slowly killing me. <laughs> That's a great that insult. That is awesome. Number two. You know what, Seth? No one thinks you're worth his attention, his time, a vote, a place in society, or even the light of day. All right? That's how I feel about you right now. Wow, the light of day. Yeah, that's... that's I mean, uh, <laughs> you're an informer, 
a muckraker, a con man, a wheeler dealer, a gigolo, and an educator in evil. All that, and amazingly, you're still broke. <laughs> yeah! Again, folks, these are insults wow. from Roman times. You think Donald Trump's a sender back. They don't uh -huh. love the country. You know, let me be straightforward right now. If we're getting to topical things, you know, not from 2,000 years ago, but today here in 2019, I don't like all this, you're not a real American talk. Like, I've never liked it. Like... Oh, that's so un-American. Like, unless it, you're literally pledging allegiance to, say, ISIS or China or Russia, and you're a foreign agent of some sort, I think the you're not a real American talk is, well, I get that it riles people up and that we like to say people who disagree with us. And I, I'll admit there's stuff that you say Elon Omar has said that I don't like one bit. But I think going, you don't, you don't love... The country and you're un-American. I didn't like it when I heard that crap 10 years ago. I think it's a lazy way to rile people up. Yeah. Just saying that, yeah. but that's par for the course of politics. Back to insults from 2,000 years ago. That last one was the definition of snitch. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> no, let's try to put this in a modern day context. It's like Donald Trump, yeah, let's say Donald Trump is up on the debate stage with sleepy Joe Biden. Okay. He says, Sleepy Joe, he hasn't got the brains of a sleeping two-year-old rocking in the rook of his father's arms. Wow. Yeah, that's a good wow. insight. Wow. That, there's a, a couple different layers there. All you do is run back and forth with a stupid expression, jittery as a rat in a roasting pot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh, then. that's great. Yeah. You are the stench of a low-life latrine. Ooh, that's that's low. Like you've been to like a football game oh, yeah. or a big arena event. Oh, you don't ever want to go to the bathroom. And you've got literally those trenches you pee in. Yeah, Ugh, the stench of a low life dudes. latrine. His mind is one vast wasteland. <laughs> okay, heard that one before. <laughs> oh, oh, this one could be good. You pretend you are one of the big boys. Oh, that's pretty straightforward. That's that's hardcore. That that makes somebody that makes somebody hit you. He makes a noise like a rooster nagging his hen. Oh, all right. That's a little barnyard for me, but a little parochial. Uh, are you still snoring? Is your slack head almost snapped on its stalk with your face unzipped by the yawns earned in yesterday's debaucheries? Do you have any goals in life? Is there any point to your life? Oh, my. Wow, debauchery. Question yeah. me on life. Sally sold she sells by seashore. No, those are some pretty good that insults. That was good, man. I that enjoy was... those insults. Insults from ancient Rome. Great stuff, guys. Great stuff. You know who John McAfee is? No. He ran for president last time, winning the Libertarian Party's nomination. All right. But he's the guy who came up with the McAfee antivirus stuff. Oh, really? So he made a bunch of money. Oh. Very rich, but he's running from U.S. authorities. This is the headline from Fox News from January of this year. I'm just now getting to this story. But this is from January 24th in Fox News. John McAfee is running from U.S. authorities and running, from president, running for president on a boat. 
<laughs> That's a rap song. He's the founder of a cybersecurity company by the same name. John McAfee is on a boat fleeing U.S. authorities, and he's trying to run for president, too. The 73-year-old... Man, he's 73. Looks pretty good for 73. The 73-year-old who founded McAfee Software in 1987 said that his, this week he's going to run his U.S. presidential campaign from a boat. Three miles out. Yes, I am still in the boat and will do so until the election, McAfee told Fox News in an email. <laughs> he provided more details in a Twitter video where he discussed the strategy. Wow. We have thousands of volunteers, and one of our other volunteers are creating masks of my face, which are going to be given to thousands of people in two different groups. First, our road warriors, who once a month are going to appear in parks, street corners, and restaurants all around America while I speak through loudspeakers to them. Oh, wow. That's going to be a little freaky because, you know, the Guy Fox V for Vendetta mask yeah, has yeah. been around for a while. Mm -hmm. I think I'd be a little freaked out with... Uh, the John McAfee, like, faces, you know, it's just a thousand people wearing John McAfee's face while his disembodied voice speaks to them. It's like the dorky road warrior. I do actually know the guy that McAfee tapped as his VP candidate last cycle in 2015-2016. Named Judd Weiss or Judd Weiss. A photographer out in uh, in California, in the Los Angeles area, I believe, and Beverly Hills and all that. And, you know, did well in real estate, and he takes photos of beautiful women. And he actually came up with a campaign ad. He called this shot. He said, "I will make an ad that'll get the mainstream media talking." And damn it, the guy pulled it <laughs> off. Guy about our age. And he really did. He said, like once every four years, McAfee's reading it. Americans get together to bully one another. And it's like, uh -huh. yes! Yeah. And he kind of hits the... I mean... Nail on the head, man. There's all sorts of rumors about McAfee, though. Um, I find him compelling as a speaker, as just a crazy life. I don't think he'll be president um, anytime soon. Oh, Mr. Wiener's back. Oh... You know, uh, Uma Abedin, she was Hillary Clinton's aide, some suspected maybe lesbian lover. I think that's a bridge too far. Uh, she'd be I going mean, just down. because two women are close doesn't mean they're lesbian lovers. Exactly. Right. Come, come on, Thoughts folks. go wherever, but yeah, the Get your mind there. out of the and gutter. They're both married women, and one is, in fact, married to Anthony Weiner. Oh. Now, he was the guy who got caught sending photos of his junk to women on Twitter. Oh. In one case, an underage woman. So Not good. he had to go away for a while. Oh, and yeah. it's one thing if like your husband does this or your boyfriend does this and it's only like you and a few close friends, your circle of friends who know. Did you hear what that SLB did? He was sending pictures of his junk to underage girls. Laying in bed in his boxers next to his kid. Right. But no, imagine if it isn't just a, you know, a, in the rumor mill, in the, I heard it through the grapevine. Little birdie. No, this is on national television. He's the darling of the left. He's trying to run for New York City mayor. And this comes out. They were actually in the middle of filming a documentary called Wiener. <laughs> yeah. When... The news of his junk pics going out to people hits, and the cameras are rolling when Uma sees the coverage on TV. And she shoots a look at the camera, 
and then shoots a look at him. Like, he's going to die. <laughs> he is going to die. Well, apparently he's been accepted back into her good graces. Here's I'm looking at photos from the Daily Mail. Uh, he's spotted in a tank top and shorts using a trolley to roll in designer garment bags, a hockey stick, and suitcases into his family home after his prison stint for sexting a 15-year-old girl. Turning into Casey Jones. You know, that's I don't, I don't wish that on anybody. Let alone any woman. Like, why is your husband in the, the clink? Did he kill somebody? Defending your honor? Did he steal something? Steal a car? Yeah. Was he kind of a, a like a badass Bad guy? No, he was sexting a 15-year-old girl. It's he, like, no, let's just keep him in prison. All right? <laughs> oh. That's, ugh, that's yeah. messed up. Really messed up. But I found it uh, kind of fascinating. Um, also, on the whole Democrat sex scandal theme... Al Franken. He was, you know... Okay, I remember this guy. Yeah, he was on SNL for a while, yeah. known as a comedian. Um, he eventually became a senator. From Northwestern uh, State or something? Uh, Minnesota. Uh, I think Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. Um, Al Franken is now saying he wishes he would not have bowed to pressure to resign from the Senate amid accusations of sexual misconduct. Now, this was in the heat of the Me Too movement, right after Harvey Weinstein is accused, Bill Cosby's on trial. He stepped down with a quickness. Yeah. Um, his Senate colleagues, Franken's Senate colleagues, also expressed their regrets for demanding his resignation after he was accused of forcibly kissing and inappropriately touching women. At least eight women accused him of sexual misconduct. Vermont Democratic Senator, all one of my favorites, Patrick Leahy. I'm the oldest member of the Senate. I, I mean, I'm old in the sense that I've been here since the beginning of the Republic. That John Adams, man, what a ball buster. Anyway, um, I think uh, telling Al to leave the Senate for inappropriately for canoodling and, uh, you know, getting a little hanky-panky going on inappropriately, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes I've made in my 45, or excuse me, 200 years in the Congress. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Times have changed. It was a mistake. So. Wake up. Yeah. Former North Dakota Senator uh, Heidi Heitkamp. What a name. If there's one decision I've made that I would take back, it's the decision to call for Al's resignation. It was made in the heat of the moment. Well, aren't a lot of these poorly timed decisions and infidelities made in the heat of the moment? I think they did it for a reason. They're trying to go back on it. Tammy Duckworth also regrets it. Um, There's no excuse for sexual assault, said Maine Independent Senator Angus King. But Al deserves more of a process. I don't know why a senator from Maine has sounded like Falcon Leghorn or Senator Shelby, but I don't denigrate the allegations, but this was the political equivalent of capital punishment. Oh, really? What? Really? It was? Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. All these, all these senators are now regretting. And former Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid also weighed in. Though he was retired at the time of the Franken controversy, it's terrible what happened to him. It was unfair. I took the legs out from under him. It took the legs out from un- under him. He was a very fine senator. Okay. It's interesting. Like, the Me Too movement and moment felt mm-hmm. like, you know, this is going to be the 
raison d'etre of the Democratic Party, like their their whole reason for being going forward into 2020. Now it seems to have died down a little bit. Maybe it's because old sleepy creepy Joe <laughs> with his hair sniffing. Oh, like yeah. if he's going to be your nominee, you can't really not Trump for creepy behavior. Oh man, he's full of that. And also with the Epstein thing out there. Oh man. And all the people tied to that creep. Yeah. Which, by the way, we still don't know exactly what Jeffrey Epstein did. I'm not talking about the allegations against him. I mean, how did you make all that money? Like, what were you doing all these years, hanging out with all these rich and powerful and famous people? Like, I just don't know. What exactly did you do? And why is it that for decades, people look the other way while you allegedly... We're doing things with women way too young, Jeffrey. Mm, you're not going to want to know the answer. It's just all very, 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 very sick. Very, very gross. Terrible. And to finish out this part of the show, you know the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? Yes, I have You know the song it. Bohemian Rhapsody? Mm-hmm. Apparently that video, the video, the original video mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody on the official Queen account surpassed one billion views. Really? Yeah. Wow. That is remarkable. That's an awesome song. Yeah, I mean, an incredible song. Still one of those songs you listen to and you're like, Wayne's World. Yeah. (laughs) I think of Wayne's World. Yeah. I really do. Let me go. Where they're driving past, what is it, like all those cars on a stick or something or on a pillar? And they're like like a Pinto and the guy in the back want to throw up. If you're going to spew, spew into this. Hands it a little Dixie cup. Good stuff. Uh, Good stuff. Well, we need to hit a break here. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Really, folks, I'm just having some fun here on a Monday. I'm feeling good. Just got a good move in. Feeling good. Feeling energetic. Feeling all right. But I really want to tell folks about Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. He's been helping a lot of my friends out. He's been helping me out. All sorts of people here in the River Region buy and sell homes here in the River Region. And we have a lot of great listings in front of us today. I mean, for instance, I believe that first one here at the top of the list, like you can hear all these papers, folks. There is a bunch, and they are all over the place. Hmm, let's see. What do we have? Oh, well, look at this one. 2023 Capitol Avenue. <gasps> wow, I feel like I've been there. Yeah, me too. I mean, it, but that's how homey it is. Like, you just, you feel at home when you go to this place. It's in Capitol Heights, but in a great part of Capitol Heights, right off of uh, Madison Avenue, right where Atlanta Highway turns into Madison Avenue. And if you're looking for historic charm, this is probably the home for you. It's been renovated with new granite countertops, refinished hardwood flooring, updated appliances like a gas stove top, granite countertops. I said that before already. Porcelain tile in the bathrooms, a walk-in closet in the master bedroom, and even a mudroom. If you've been out there and, you know, tussling around, need to put those dirty shoes in that area. A huge fenced-in yard. Really is a huge backyard. Um, Great deck. It's really a move-in ready place with a lot of charm. Again, that's 2023 Capitol Avenue. Listings like that. don't forget that it's like three miles from downtown. Right. It's right there. Great location. Especially if you're a family, maybe working on the Air Force Base. Right there. Middle of town. It's a great deal. So if you're interested in that place or many others, we got another one in Beard Court where Greg Budell used to live. That is an awesome looking house. Yeah. Fireplace, man. Nice mm -hmm. wood floor. Mm. 
It's just so many great homes. So if you're interested in these listings or many more, looking to get your place listed, maybe featured here on the Joey Clark Radio Hour, give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call. His number is 322-0662-322-0662. Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group has been going at this for years, really knows his stuff when it comes to real estate, and he can help you out whether you've done this before yourself or you're a first-time home buyer or seller. He makes the process, which is a big deal, very serious decision to be made, buying or selling a home. He makes this serious, often complicated process well, go smoothly and swimmingly. So give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call. 322-0662. Again, that number, Seth? 322-0662. Thank you. Mm. And we'll be right back. Joey Clark. sexy poppy mood music here because I'm about to blow my lid. You know, while the president was calling the squad all sorts of names, they hate America. They're anti-Semitic. They just, I don't think they're capable of loving the country. And while the squad and many like them were calling the president crap was going on last week, the president, Nancy Pelosi, oh, well, well, the job took you of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, and many others have come up with a compromise spending bill. We just hit a record $22 trillion in debt. But here's the thing, folks. For all the name-calling, for all the threats, for all the heated rhetoric leading into this 2020 presidential campaign, the big issues, well, Democrats and Republicans are all on the same page. This new compromise bill would uh, raise the debt ceiling... Eliminates the risk of a government shutdown. But the 
deal would increase spending caps by $320 billion relative to the Budget Control Act of 2011, the so-called sequester. Here's the thing. For the longest time in D.C., folks, a moderate has been somebody who wants a big warfare state and a big welfare state. I'm a moderate in a different direction, but I guess if that's the definition of moderate, I'm a radical. I want a small welfare state and a small warfare state. I want us to get our house in frickin' order before we have real, real tough issues and tough decisions to make. Think it's tough now? No, it's not. But, of course, all the petty politics are going into the budget-making process. Like, in Pat Leahy, I'm worried the House is willing to give far too much discretion to take money and move it anywhere. He wants, he, President Trump, wants including his wall. Yeah, okay, that's what you're worried about, Pat? This is ridiculous, folks. But it's, you know, right on the eve, a year before the next presidential election in 2020. So we can't make tough, hard decisions that actually put the nation on a stronger footing. Help actually preserve the future for the generations to come. No, we're just going to spend everything. Let's blow up all the budget caps. Let's just keep spending more money on everything under the sun. Increase military spending. Increase spending for every pet project the federal government wants. It'll work out great. This is what I'm worried about. While we're looking at the shiny object of somebody called somebody else a name. Oh, you fascist bigot. You America hating. America hater. It's just... A distraction from the real issues facing the nation. The big real issues facing the nation. And we're acting like, or at least our representatives, and I use that term loosely, they're not servants and they're barely representative of what people want. Continue to act like there's nothing wrong with our current debt and deficit levels. I mean, the economy's growing like gangbusters. The economy's never gone south before after we grew like gangbusters. No, it's all good. Let's just hang out with the land of the lotus eaters, get high, and keep spending this money, baby. It just comes from nowhere. You got to keep that money coming in, right? No, with policies like this, with compromises like this, I'm ready to visit the land of the lotus eaters. Let's just, you know, lose my mind and, and bask in the sun. See, that's not a choice we have. We're not there, but they can. (sighs) Trump wrote, I am pleased to announce that a deal has been struck with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on a two-year budget and debt ceiling with no poison pills. This was a real compromise in order to give another big victory to our great military and vets. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that sounds what really a, good. What a great, great victory. It sounds good. You know, Trump does stuff that I like, but it's not on Trump. It's on Trump. It's on McConnell. It's on Schumer. It's on Pelosi. It's on McCarthy. It's on every freaking one of you who continue to do this. This will be another two years of more debt financing. 
for every little project and every little special interest. Oh, God. I want to visit a new topic before I start cursing. Factoids are everywhere. You see them on the Book of Faces and on Twitter or wherever Every morning, it is. man. Yeah. Like a little Jay? meme. Yeah. Well, no, but Jay, Jay has a random fact segment. For folks who don't listen in the morning, Jay Scott puts together a great random set facts, of random facts. But those are actually facts. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, a- everything I read on there, I, I kind of don't believe, you know, 50% chance is probably lie. Yeah, well, or just misinformed, whatever. Mm-hmm. But factoids are more like facts with an agenda kind of attached to them, like things everybody knows from a certain perspective, but are they actually true? Or are they true in a way that's meaningful? Ah, satire, right? So, well, satire can sometimes be the case, but sometimes it's like a true fact and it doesn't mean anything. For instance, there are these quotable statistics out there people use to defend their beliefs or undermine another's beliefs. Factoids, though, aren't always accurate or fair. The really bad ones can even cause us to misidentify what is right versus wrong. So, how can you identify the bad ones? It's actually surprisingly easy to equip yourself with enough basic knowledge to outsmart bad factoids and the agendas behind them. So, let's use an example. Consider a recent Research Affiliates article. The article included a factoid that was designed to be quoted just like this. Three U.S. billionaires are now collectively worth more than the 160 million Americans in the bottom half of the wealth distribution. Few of the bottom 160 million hold any stocks or bonds. Shocking number. Three billionaires have more wealth or value or asset value than the 160 million Americans on the bottom end of the spectrum. Sad, but I mean, that's where we live in. I mean, what a, what a terrible thing. You know, this factoid was run with by major financial news outlets like Institutional Investor and Fox Business. But they shouldn't have. If you know a couple of basic facts about the U.S. population, you know, it's not worth quoting. It might be a fact, but it's so meaningless that it's actually kind of deceitful. All we need to understand that factoid is some basic demographic knowledge. The population of the United States estimated about 329 million in July of 2018. Therefore, it's true that half the United States population would be roughly 160 million people. But populations generally include lots of children. In fact, most of the people in the bottom half of the wealth distribution are children or young adults who are no more than a few years into their careers. So check out the estimated age breakdown of the United States population. Zero to 14 years old. That's about 18.62% of the U.S. population. Wow. Would you expect uh, somebody who's one to 14 years old, say like, does Rose have any money? Sometimes. She shows you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, daddy, a dollar. Yeah. Right. A five dollar. It's, it's a 20. Yeah. Big bucks there, Rose. Yeah, it was our birthday, man. 15 to 24 years old, 13% of the population. So we're looking at about 31, 32% of the population is 0 to 24 years old. Do you expect even people in their 
early, early 20s to have a lot of money. Oh, no. Even if they're brilliant, well-educated. Very few. They're going to have a lot of success in life and get wealthy. But early on, it's pretty rare. 25 to 54 years old is 39.29% of the population. And 55 and over is about, well, let's say 29% of the population. So people between 0 and 24 years of age account for 32% of the U.S. population of 320 million. Almost all of them are going to be in the bottom half of the wealth distribution for reasons including diaper rash and puberty. That means they account for about 63% of the bottom half of the wealth distribution. So now let's think about that factoid again. Three billionaires have more money than the 160 million people at the bottom of the wealth distribution. Well, 63% of those at the bottom half of the wealth distribution are dealing with diaper rash or puberty or just getting out of college and dealing with, you know, college debts. So this amazing factoid about wealth inequality, put in perspective, you're like, well, okay. Well, but what about the other, you know, 37% of the people? So let's consider also people with mental and physical disabilities. They also tend to be in the bottom half half of the wealth distribution because they face, let's be sincere about this, greater challenges to build wealth. About 56 million people, 19% of the population has a disability. This is according to the U.S. Census Bureau. But there is overlap between, say, the disabled 19% and the young 32% of the population. So if we assume disabilities are evenly distributed across the population, then young people and non-young disabled people account for 45% of the population. So we now have accounted for 90% of the 160 million Americans in the bottom half of the wealth distribution. Next, we must think about other groups who have limited wealth-building opportunities. What about the 2.2 million people in jail and prison? What about people in their late 20s who pursued, say, PhDs, law degrees, medical residencies, etc., and are just beginning their careers, even if they're near the age of 30? Now we are close to accounting for 100% of the bottom half of the wealth distribution. But this wealth distribution is not what any sensible person would expect it to be. Maybe it is true that Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett have more wealth than all of the infants, children, students, handicapped, prisoners, and postgrads combined. But you don't need a PhD to figure out that's not really useful knowledge. Even if the factoid is true, it's deceitful. It's meaningless. Whoever created it was obviously trying to manipulate people. And we uncovered this deception with nothing but some simple knowledge of the U.S. population. So it's stuff like that that makes, when I see these factoids and these agendas, I'm like, okay. Like, and also it doesn't really drive me. I also, I don't have a temperament where I hear like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos have all this money. I'm like, well, Jeff Bezos started a company almost out of nothing into this global conglomerate that can provide you with almost any product you want right to your doorstep within a day, if you so please. Yeah, he should have billions of dollars. He created something valuable that people say in the bottom half of the wealth distribution find valuable. He created a holiday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Prime day. Yeah, I created a freaking holiday. Warren Buffett has been it's a Warren brilliant Buffett. investor. And by brilliant investor, he took money, invested it into jobs, into 
businesses into causes that he thought would make more money because it would be what other people wanted. And doggone it, Warren Buffett's often right. He knows what he's doing. Bill Gates. Oh, he didn't do anything to make the world a better place. How'd that greedy bastard get all that money? Ones and zeros, man. Ones and zeros. You know, he not only created, you know, Microsoft and all that. I mean, what is that? Yeah. Why, why is that important? Oh, man, we use Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Just so... Just all this inequality talk strikes... Like, I don't get all bent out of shape. Like, why does that person have so much more than me? Maybe if I'm working, like, the same exact job and somebody's getting paid more, I might bitch and moan about it. But even then, I don't see it as somebody else's fault if I'm not making as much money as somebody working the same exact job. I look in the mirror and go, well, Joey, you probably didn't push for it enough. You didn't ask for it. You didn't prove your value to somebody who would be paying you. You need to work harder at it, Joey. You bum. Now go out there and make that money, boo-boo. Yeah. But too often, they're, and it's, I think, actually fairly universal, there is this weird victim culture. It's, I think the person that wrote that was taking advantage of the culture's laziness, hmm. of them knowing that they're not going to look deep into the stats. Right. And they're going to take it by face value. And, I mean, you saying that <clears throat> it's your fault. You look in the mirror and be like, all right, this is my fault. But nowadays, no, nobody wants to do that. They're like, hey, it's somebody else. It's your right. fault. You know, excuses. Well, it's easier to blame somebody else and tear something down than to look in the mirror and help build something. True. Now, I don't want to play this whole video. It's a whole seven-minute video. We don't have enough time for it, and I don't want to bore y'all with the Kermit the Frog sounding voice of Jordan Peterson. But the quote as the title of this YouTube video is fascinating. It actually reminds me of Frederick Nietzsche. Here's a quote. You have a vision of your own ideal, and you torment yourself when you aren't matching it. So here's the idea. Say you are in a place where you feel like a victim, or you feel like you're not where you need to be in life. You have to ask yourself, what's my overall goal? Yeah. What is my ideal? And if you set that ideal, and maybe it's explicit to you, you've really thought about it, and this is what I'm working towards, this is what I'm trying to live up to, whether it's I'm a good dad... I'm a good mother, I'm a good brother, I'm a good sister, I'm a good friend, or I'm a successful businessman, or maybe your ideal is I want to be rich and famous. Doesn't matter. Like, I want to sleep with all the women on earth. Like, good luck with that idiotic ideal. <laughs> but it is the ideal, the goal that you set. Number one, you should set one that's somewhat realistic or worthwhile. Because if you don't set a goal, that say your goal, your ideal is to sleep with all the women on the face of the earth and you're a man. That is going to lead you to utter hell and meaningless <laughs> meaninglessness. I'm sorry, but it is. Yeah, no it might doubt. be fun for a little while, but it's no. not going to be a worthwhile endeavor. I want to be an NBA all-star. Like, well, do you have the skills, number one, to even play basketball? Are you sure you're ready for this? Because even some of the best people on earth at playing basketball don't make it as an NBA all-star. Your goals have to be realistic. But if you do set a realistic goal, say, like, I want to be a good father. And it, again, doesn't have to be something you meditate on every day. But it could be, at the end of the day, that's what you care about the most. And if you are ignoring some responsibility that is leading you to 
failure, to not living up to that ideal, it will torment you, and rightfully so. Yeah. But it's stuff like this that I think, you know, it's not all the transgender controversy in Canada with speech laws. It's not all this stuff Peterson has said. It's stuff like that that I think has made the guy so popular uh, with the world. It is uh, this idea of make your bed in the morning. I've heard it from speakers who are generals in the United States. I've heard it from Jordan Peterson. I do it. Clean your room, essentially. Yeah. I've heard it recently from Dr. Drew Pinsky. It's good for you. It, yeah, it sets out uh, a the day first routine. point in the day. Yeah, the, uh, you wake up immediately and you do something. Having a little kid, you learn that routine is everything. Yes, and I have a neighbor that they just had a, a little one, a little juicy fresh one, baby, and I try to tell him, I'm like, man, routine's everything, dude. It is, but the routines to bring it back to some of the topic tonight. What is the ideal of those supposedly running the country these days? What's your ideal? For the nation. Are you living up to it? Or are you just torturing yourselves and the rest of us? Because if the ideal is just more money to all the stuff we need to do. Ugh. I don't think we're living up to our ideals as a nation. And it doesn't have anything to do with the usual insults. It just has to do with, well, a lack of foresight. And a lot of foolishness for the whim of the moment. You know what we need? Buckets of love. Well, on that note, have a good night, folks.